0: As we hear a passage like that and know all of the things that go into it, I think one of the questions that we ask is, why do people make the choices they do? Why do people make the choices they do? We look at this, this moment, this heavy time, and, and we just don't understand how all of this can be happening right here. As we heard our passage read, this is heavy and sorrowful. The pain and suffering that Jesus has been foreshadowing, that he's been hinting would be coming, that was the end of his path, has arrived. And even though we know the story and we know where it's going, it's still hard to hear and imagine the scene. As Christ is beaten, as he's mocked, as he's condemned it leaves us with the question why why did the soldiers beat and mock one who had done them no wrong why did Pilate condemn a man he himself saw as innocent why did the priests betray their messiah As we've been going through the gospel of john there's one question that john the author is wanting us to be able to answer there's one thing that he keeps on showing and saying listen if you read this book you should know the answer to this question what's the question that john wants us to answer who is jesus who is jesus We've spent now 18 chapters understanding this is Jesus. We now understand this is God. Which makes it all the harder when we see how people are treating Jesus. Don't you know who you're mocking? Don't you know who you are condemning? Don't you know who you are rejecting? Why are you doing what you're doing? It's a question that we can ask not just of the three different people in this passage. It's also a question we can ask of Christ. Why are you doing what you're doing? Look at the pain you're going to have to go through. But here's what I want to propose to you. As much as we might look at these three categories of people with the soldiers, with Pilate, with the Jews, and we might say, that's surprising that they would do that. Why would they do that? It's not surprising. They're making decisions based off of a logic that we often make decisions. No, the surprising part of our passage is what Christ is doing. So, what we're going to do this morning is first, we're going to just walk through and see what these three different groups are doing, and then we're going to go back and we're going to see what Christ is doing. Here's our big idea For our sake, Jesus surrendered his personal privilege and prioritized his greater purpose. For our sake, Jesus surrendered his personal privilege. And he prioritized his greater purpose where we're starting we're going to be in john 19 looking at verse 1 through 16. we had them read all the way going back to verse 28 of chapter 18 because 19 is actually halfway through the trial The trial starts earlier, and we've been seeing this scene where Jesus was arrested at the beginning of chapter 18. He was taken to Annas, and then he was taken to Caiaphas, and they did their own trial. And then they delivered him over to Pilate because they needed someone who actually had the authority to do what they wanted. So they bring him to Pilate, Pilate questions Jesus regarding Christ's kingdom because that's the charge they're bringing against Jesus. They need something that's not just theological because that's not going to hold any weight with a Roman soldier. It's not going to hold weight with a Roman prefect. So they bring something that's more important. They say, this guy's making himself out to be king. So Pilate questions him about it. Are you the king of the Jews? But in the conversation, Pilate's conclusion is that Jesus is Innocent. And he tries to free him. His first strategy is to say, You know what? I'm going to release someone for you that now that it's Passover, which is a clue that John the author keeps giving us of what time is this, he's like, I'm going to release someone. Who do you want? This man who is innocent, who has done no wrong, or this insurrectionist, this murderer, this son of darkness. And they choose the darkness instead of the light. John 3.19, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so we come to our passage. We start off by seeing the soldier's response to Jesus. Look at verse 1, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. When we look at the soldiers, we see the soldiers' power. These are men that if nothing else understand power. These are the soldiers of the most powerful empire that has ever been. Their basis of who their king is, is based on the power of that king. Caesar is in control because Caesar is the most powerful. That's what makes him king. No one defies Caesar. No one has that kind of power. And if they try to, they're crushed. The soldiers are trained. No one challenges our king. Then comes this man. This insignificant Jew of an insignificant country. He has no army. He has no power that they can see. In fact, the only follower of Jesus who actually is bold enough to do something, to stand up, to pull out a sword... Jesus tells him, put down your sword. What kind of king is this? You're the king of the Jews? Even the Jews don't want you. You think you're going to overthrow us? Who do you think you are? These soldiers look at this so-called king and they see no power. He does nothing to stop them as they strip him of his robes and they whip him. What king are you? You have no power. They mock him. They get a crown that they fashion out of thorns. They squeeze it on his head. They get one of the tunics that they have to play dress up and they make him have the royal color of purple. They put it on him. Now, you want to be king? Let's dress you up as king. And then one by one, they line up and they perform the ceremony that they would do for their king where they would go and say, Hail, Caesar! But now they come before him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they strike him again and again and again. Such a hard scene to consider for us when we know who this is. We know who they're mocking and striking. The true tragedy, though, is in their total lack of understanding. It's in the total abandonment of their purpose. Think about it. What is the purpose of a soldier? It's to protect the king, it's to protect the kingdom. And here before them is not just a king, it's the king of kings. This is the one who truly should be protected. This is the one who truly should be honored. This is the one who they truly should pay homage to. But instead of protecting their king, they persecute the king of kings because they saw a king with no power. That doesn't shock us. How many people do we see? How many times do we make decisions based on power? We're not surprised that soldiers would make a decision based on power. You have no power. You can do nothing to stop us. Our passage continues as we look at Pilate's further interactions with Jesus. When it comes to Pilate's interaction with Jesus, it's all based on his position. Verse 4 says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. The Jew's strategy in condemning Jesus to Rome was to say that he was proclaiming himself as king. For a Roman authority, for a Roman prefect, that's a problem for someone else to be rising up, to to be stirring things up, to proclaim themselves as king under the empire of Rome, that can't happen. So Pilate, so they bring him to Pilate, and Pilate's going to take this seriously. But he's looked, and he's saying, this isn't it. This guy's innocent. He still wants Jesus to be released. So now his new strategy, and Luke sheds more light on this, the Gospel of Luke, but now his strategy is, I'm going to bring him out in this pitiful state. I'm going to parade him in front of you where you can see him bloodied and broken, where you can see him wearing the mocking robes of the soldiers. And I won't present him as king. Behold the man. You're saying this is a king? This is no king. Is this really what you're worried about? Do you see how pitiful he looks? This is nothing to be concerned about. It's almost as like Pilate is saying, this is the man you're worried about. This is the man you think is going to become a problem. This man is no threat at all. But once again, Pilate's plan is unsuccessful because when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. This is the first time that the words calling for Christ's crucifixion occur in John. Not something that the Romans call for. It's something that the priests call for crucify him. Why crucifixion? There's other ways of doing this. There's other ways of of capital punishment. Why crucifixion? This is an embarrassment to the Jewish people. Let's just deal with it quietly. But what's been the problem for the Jewish priests? What has been the problem for the officers? See how many people are going to him. See, if he continues like this, everyone will turn to him. We need to publicly shame him. We need to publicly disgrace him. Let him be crucified. There is no form of death that is more shameful. Let us have that be done to him. Sure, it might be a little bit hard for us to swallow that they're doing that to a Jew, to one of us. But you know what? It's worth it. Crucify him. The pagan is seeking to release Jesus, but the priests call for his condemnation. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now, if you remember earlier in, in the passage, the Jews have already told him, we don't have the right to put anyone to death. They've already said that to Pilate. So what's happening here? Did Pilate forget about that? Did Pilate forget that the, the subjects of where he's in charge don't have that kind of authority? No, he didn't, he didn't forget. He, here's what I think is happening. I mean, have you ever had people come up to you and, and ask for your opinion or advice on something? And, and maybe it's something that you, you're an expert on, and so you explain to them, okay, this is the process. This is what you need to do. And then as soon as you're done telling them all those things, they tell you, nope, you're wrong. You came to me. You you asked me to take care of this. I've I've taken care of it. I've told you what is is happening. And now you're not willing to do what I've said. That's what's happening here. Pilate says, this guy's innocent. We're not going to crucify him. We're not going to condemn him. But they say, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate says, fine, take him yourselves and crucify him. You asked me to do this. You asked me my opinion. Now you aren't taking him. So I find him innocent. No, he's guilty. Kill him. Oh yeah? You think he's guilty? Then condemn him yourself. You don't need me, apparently. Oh wait, you do. You don't have that kind of authority. Throughout this whole passage, there's this tension between the Jewish leaders and Pilate, this this game that's going back and forth between them. The tragedy is that the peace that they're playing with is our Savior. clear that Pilate was not, in fact, giving them permission, because first of all, they don't even have Jesus in their possession, and second, they don't leave. They keep on seeking Christ's condemnation. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself to himself the son of God. Now the Jews turn in their strategy Just presenting him as someone who was claiming to be king wasn't doing it, so now they present that Jesus is also claiming to be God, and this is the real issue for the Jews. This is the part that they're actually upset about. This is what they've already tried to stone and kill him for before. Because he made himself equal to God. It's a theological issue. Make no mistake, there will be people that come to you and say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. That is ridiculous. When Jesus said that he was the Son of God, it was a claim of deity. He made himself out to be one with the Father, and the Jews understood that. It's not something of like, oh, well, we just culturally don't get it. Really, this is what Jesus was saying. No, the Jews understood. Why? Because they sought to kill him for it. They understood what his claim was, and they presented to Pilate, and it terrifies Pilate. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? but Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate is not seeking to release Jesus because he's squeamish about blood. Pilate's not looking to release Jesus because deep down he's a pacifist. But Pilate sees that he's innocent. But now not only is this an innocent man, now he's worried because this is a man who's proclaiming to be the son of God. There's a good chance that for Pilate, he actually thinks, wait, is this a demigod? That's part of Roman theology. Part of what Rome believed was in demigods. And he's never encountered someone like Jesus. Has he condemned people before to die, to be crucified? Yes. How do we know? Because Jesus isn't the only one going to be crucified. Other people are going to be crucified with Jesus. So Pilate's done this process before. It's not something like, ah, I really hate doing this. No, he's used to the process. He's used to condemning people. But he's never encountered someone like Jesus. He's never encountered someone in total control. He's never encountered someone who is unfazed even in the presence of one who will accuse him and condemn him. He's never encountered one who could speak so clearly. He's never had someone who he questioned and gave no answer. It's quite possible that Pilate even has heard of Jesus and the miraculous signs he has performed. We know that Jesus was becoming well-known. Earlier in John 12, we see that the Greeks are coming to Jesus. We also know from other Gospels that John and the things that John did in the wilderness became so well-known that Herod had him come. So it's a good chance that Pilate, being over Israel, would know who Jesus was. And he's scared, and he goes to Jesus Where are you from? Who are you really? And Jesus doesn't answer. I'm not really sure why. It might be that he didn't, he knew that what Pilate was asking was not the answer. If Jesus said, I come from God, that that would be something that Pilate wouldn't understand. I'm not sure why Jesus doesn't answer, but this fulfills Isaiah 53, 7. The lamb is being brought forth, and yet he utters not a sound. I'm not sure exactly why Jesus doesn't answer, but it messes with Pilate. Verse 10 So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Don't you know my position? Don't you know my authority? Who do you think you are to not answer me? Do you know who I am? And for us, as we've been reading through John, there's an element where we just want to shout out, Jesus, man, if Jesus would just turn and then say, do you know who I am? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate's in a hard position. Don't don't you know the decision I'm making right now? It's a matter of life and death. You have no authority. You're not in a higher position the position you are in over me, was given to you. And then Jesus goes to this next part of the phrase that that kind of confuses us. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, first of all, let me just be clear. Jesus is not absolving Pilate of all wrongdoing. He's not saying, you know what, Pilate? You think that you're the prefect. You're really just the pawn. You you, you don't have any, any responsibility in this. He says greater sin, implying that there is still sin here. Pilate is responsible for his actions. Divine sovereignty does not remove personal responsibility. Yes, this position was given to you. Yes, this authority was placed on you. But that does not remove your personal responsibility in this. But there is one in this scenario who has the greater sin who's jesus talking to who's jesus talking about when i first read this i'm like man what what is this going on and and at first i'm like i mean probably the one that delivered we're talking about judas but when we look at the context judas is the one that we talk about more but the context of john points to another Judas had a part in the story, but before Judas' part, there was someone else who was seeking the murder of Jesus. All the way back in chapter 11. After Jesus raises Lazarus to to life, the priests get together and Caiaphas goes to them, you know nothing at all. Better for one man to die And from that point on, they sought to kill Jesus. In verse 14 of chapter 18, it says, It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. John 18, 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. Verse 30, if this man, this is what the the Jews are saying, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Verse 35 of chapter 18, Pilate answered, he's talking to Jesus, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about Caiaphas. Who should have known better? The chief priests. Who should have put a stop to trials that were illegal? The high priest. Who should have never delivered the king, the Messiah, to a pagan? The high priest therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from this moment on, Pilate wants no part of this. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. I don't want to be part of this. And it would be wonderful if he had just done it. He had the authority. We don't give a a pass on this. He could have. It wasn't... He, the high priest was not Pilate's high priest. But he seeks to release him, and this is then where the Jews come in and they say, so from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews... And John has been very specific in this passage to define which Jews he's talking about. It's the chief priests and officers. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is their trump card. Gotcha. If you release him, we're going to tattle. We're going to go tell Caesar what you did. If you release someone that we are saying is an insurrectionist that we delivered to you, we brought him to you, we gave you everything you need, how do you think Caesar's going to respond if we come to him and say, listen, We gave a known insurrectionist, we gave this guy that was stirring rebellion, we gave everything we needed to your prefect, and he released him. How do you think Pilate's going to respond? How do you think Caesar's going to respond to that? Pilate's position is not that secure. And Pilate's position is all he's really concerned about. So when Pilate heard those words... He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. Here's part of the irony here. Where did Pilate's authority come from, according to Jesus? From above. Whose authority is Pilate really only concerned about the authority that comes from Caesar? Threaten him with the removal of authority from Caesar, and he's like, I'm done. I'm out of this. That was the final thing, and on that statement, he makes his decision to condemn an innocent man. And I think here what we have is in that struggle Pilate's not pleased that his hand, arm was twisted behind his back and forced to do something. And so he, he's going to do a couple more things in the passage as well to get back at the Jews and what they're making him do. And he brings Jesus out. He sits on the judgment seat, which, so much irony there. He sits on the judgment seat, and he presents Jesus to the Jews and says, Behold your King. What was Pilate's purpose? Pilate's purpose was to promote peace. But instead, he condemned the Prince of Peace to preserve his position. Now, it would be easy for us to say, Pilate, how would you do that? So many of us would do that. Let's be honest. How often are we seeking to preserve our position? that's what Pilate does. The actions of the soldiers make sense. The actions of Pilate make sense. And so we come to the actions of the Jews. And the Jews base their decision, the priests base their decision based on their own perspective. These are the ones Jesus was talking about with the greater sin. Why? Because if anyone should have known better, it was them. What was their privilege. Well, think about it. What were they? Priests. Who should have known? Who should have recognized who Jesus was? If there's anyone in Israel, it would have been the priests. What do they have? Prophecies. Prophecies that point to Jesus more than anyone else. They know the prophecies. What is the time that John keeps on pointing us to. It's Passover. Everything is set up for them to understand. They're priests. They have the prophecies. It's Passover. Everything is pointing. This is Jesus. And if that weren't bad enough, they even have a pagan saying what is true. Behold your king. So what's their problem? They were blinded by their pride. In John 9, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. In their own pride, they thought they understood the prophecies according to their own perspective. In their pride, they thought that they should remain in their position, that they should hold on to their place and their nation. In their pride, they thought they knew everything. In their pride, they thought that their perspective was perfect. John 11:49. but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Oh, how right he was, and oh, how wrong he was. He said something true, but in his pride he thought he understood it and completely misinterpreted the prophecy. Their pride blinded them. They were only willing to see things according to their own perspective. They would allow nothing to take their place in their nation. They abandoned their purpose. What was the purpose of the Jews? Proclaim the Messiah as king to the nations. Didn't Jesus say that that would be the result of Israel? Through you, the nations will be Blessed. This is your purpose. Proclaim the Messiah as king to the nations. But instead they presented the Messiah as a criminal to the nations. They did it to keep their own place. This is the final judgment from John for the Jews. Over and over John has shown that there will be those who receive Christ and there will be those who reject Christ. And the main people who keep on rejecting him have been the Jewish leaders. And we come to this point where they are doing this and this is the final blow. Because this is what happens. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Pilate's forcing the issue. He's forcing them to the point that he's, that they've, they've put him about up against the wall and he's like, all right, you want to go this way? Let's go this way. You want me to kill your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Every opportunity is afforded them. It should be clear because of who they were. They were priests. It should be clear because of what they had. They had the prophecies. It should be clear because of the time it was. It was Passover. It should be clear because of the words of the pagan, behold your king. But what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. When faced with the choice between Jesus and anything else, the priests demonstrate they would choose anything else. The tragedy is that they are not alone in that decision. The people in our passage are not the only ones to reject the Savior. Our purpose is to receive the King. Our purpose is to bear witness, is to worship and revere him. But when faced the decision of Jesus and anything else, many will choose anything else. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus. At the very beginning of the book in John 1, it says, he was in the world and the world was made through him this is his people. He made this world, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. When we read this from our perspective, it's hard not to grow indignant at the people in this passage. How dare you do this to Jesus? But here's the reality. Their actions make sense, they made their decisions based on the basis of a worldly perspective. They made it based on their own privileges for their own pleasure. How often do we do the same? How often are our decisions based on how we respond to Jesus based on our own perspective, our own pleasure, our own power, our own position? Does it surprise us that the soldiers persecuted Jesus because of their own power? Are we confused that Pilate prioritized preserving his own position? Is it shocking that blind priests made poor decisions based on their own personal perspective? If we're honest, none of these responses surprise us because we make the same choices. What is surprising in all of this is Jesus when we look at Jesus, his decision is the paradox. His decision is one where we're like, I don't know how to reconcile what I know about Jesus and what he's doing here at face value. We have a hard time reconciling the privilege of who Jesus is with the pain and suffering he's about to experience. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense to us initially but when we look deeper, it falls into place. Here's the paradox of Christ. Jesus had the most power. Think about what happens at the beginning of chapter 18 when Jesus said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. You think any of those soldiers have that kind of power? Just the... The speaking of his name is enough to knock down all of the soldiers. Jesus held the highest position. Jesus answered earlier to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. His position is so high. It's otherworldly. It's out of this world. Can Pilate compete with a position like that? Jesus had the clearest perspective. Jesus didn't just think he knew what was coming. He didn't wonder what would happen to him. He didn't question what the cost would be. No, Jesus knew all of it. One of the most astounding statements in the whole Gospel of John is found in the beginning of chapter 18. In John 18:4. Jesus sees the crowd coming, the soldiers who are armed, the lamps that are coming. Jesus sees all of that and this is what it says in 18:4. Je- then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, "Whom do you seek?" Jesus didn't know some of what was coming. Jesus wasn't walking with just a little lamp for his feet, and he's like, well, we'll see how this works out. Jesus knew all of what would happen to him. And he comes forward. Jesus had the clearest perspective. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. His perspective of what was coming was perfect. Do you see the paradox that our Christ's actions? This doesn't make sense. Soldiers who decide based on power make sense. Rulers who condemn to protect their position make sense. Priests who make decisions based on their own personal perspective make sense. What doesn't make sense is what Jesus does, not at face value. If with just speaking your name aloud, you could knock soldiers down, would you subject yourself to the beating and mocking of those soldiers? if you held not an earthly position but a heavenly position, would you allow a mere mortal to pass judgment on you? If you had the perfect perspective of what was coming and what the cost would be and the pain you would encounter, would you willingly submit to oppression and affliction and not open your mouth? like a lamb that was being led to the slaughter, like a sheep that was silent before its shearers, if you knew what was coming, would you open not your mouth? When we consider Jesus compared to the people, Jesus doesn't make sense. Who doesn't use their privilege for their own pleasure? Jesus doesn't. The question for us is why? Why would Christ willingly surrender his personal privileges? Why would he subject himself to the cross? It doesn't seem to make sense, but all of Christ's choices are clear when we consider the purpose for which he came. Why did Jesus surrender his personal privilege? Because of his love. Because he did it for our sake. Because it fulfilled the purpose for which he came. John 3, 17, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. John 18.11, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? John 18.37, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is what he came for. He came to save Sinners. He came to die. He came to endure the cross. Jesus surrendered his personal privilege. Why? Because he prioritized his greater purpose. He did this for our sake. Behold your king. This is the beauty of our passage. Jesus came to save even knowing the cost. This is where the paradox makes sense. He has the most power, and he used that power to save us. He has the highest position, yet he humbled himself to die for us. He has the clearest perspective, and he saw in a way far greater so that for the joy set before him, he endured. The paradox is resolved when we see that Jesus surrendered his personal privilege because he prioritized his greater purpose. This is what truly reveals who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? That's our question. That is the question that John has sought to answer, and within our passage, we have the unwitting answers of people who rejected him. But their answers are true. Who is Jesus? We see it in Pilate's first proclamation. Behold the man. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the one who humbled himself by taking on flesh. Jesus is the one who came as a man because he knew it was the only way to save mankind. Jesus is the man because he knew that because men had sinned, a man would have to pay the price. Who is Jesus? The answer is found in the priest's words. Jesus is the Son of God. Not just a man, but fully God and fully man. One who could be our substitute as a man, but who could pay the price in full as God. Who is Jesus? We find the answer in Pilate's second proclamation. Behold your king. Jesus is the king, the one who comes to rule and reign over all mankind. Who is Jesus? We find the answer in the setting of our story, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. Truly, the Lamb of God was being prepared for the perfect sacrifice. It is the words of John the Baptist that begin the book in, back in chap- chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world who is Jesus? He's our Savior. Jesus is the perfect Passover Lamb. This is Jesus. Here's another beauty, though, of our passage. Something that is astounding is that Jesus flips everything that has happened to him on its head. Christ's surrender here is not defeat. Defeat christ's surrender is victory everything that he is subjected to in this moment is ultimately flipped on its head from crowns of thorns and mocking robes to crowns of glory and robes of righteousness from standing broken and bruised before a judgment seat made by men to sitting on the great judgment seat of man From enduring the shame of the cross and succumbing to death to putting death to shame and coming back to life. His surrender was not defeat. Jesus is the great conqueror. We see the fulfillment of John 19 and Revelation 19. Listen to what it says in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. All of the things that were in this passage are flipped. A new crown, a new robe. Not subjected to the power of soldiers, but leading an army of soldiers. Not subjected to the judgment of man, but coming as the judge of man. Not just some pitiful king, but one who will come to rule. For our sake, Jesus surrendered his personal privilege and prioritized his greater purpose. So where does this leave us? It all depends on your personal response to who Jesus is. Now notice, I don't say it all depends on who Jesus is. That's not open to personal interpretation. All of the people in our passage interpreted wrongly, but it didn't change who Jesus was. But where does this leave you? It all depends on how you respond to who Jesus is. How do you respond to the presentation of the king? If up to this point, your response has been rejection, now is the time to receive him. If up to this point you have rejected your king, your savior, your sacrificial lamb, now is the time to receive him. This is your only hope. Why did he go through all of these things? Why did he go through the pain and suffering? For your sake. Now is the time to receive him. Now is the time to place your faith in him alone. Turn away from your rejection. Repent from your rejection and place your faith in Christ alone. If you don't know how to do that, talk to me. Talk to another member of this church. We want to share that with you because that's part of our purpose. But maybe you have received him, but even after receiving him, you still make your decisions based on self perceived privileges. What am I going to do for the sake of the king? I'll do some of this, but I'm not willing to sacrifice or surrender that privilege. Jesus, I'll follow you, but no farther than this. This is what I'm willing to do for you as my king. Ask me to go further than that. I'm not doing it. Jesus forsook his personal privilege for our sake. What are we willing to forsake for his sake? What privileges that we think are ours are we willing to open our hands of and say, God, it's all yours so that I could accomplish my purpose? Behold your king. See what he has done what do we in turn do? I don't ask that in the sense of earning it. We could never earn this. We could never earn this. But he did it for a purpose. He did it for our sake. So now, if we have received him, we have a purpose. That's what we've been seeing, John 13 through 17. Jesus has gone to his disciples and explained to them, as I was sent into the world, so I send you into the world. We have a purpose. Are we willing to surrender our personal privileges, the things that we think are personal pleasures? Are we willing to surrender those for the sake and to prioritize the purpose he has given us? He surrendered, he forsook much for our sake. For his sake, what do we forsake? For our sake, Jesus surrendered his personal privilege and prioritized his greater purpose. As the worship team comes up, I just want to challenge you on this. Where are you? Have you rejected him or have you received him? If you've rejected him, turn to him now if you have received him but and yet there are still so many things in which the way the practical way in which you are living is still rejecting him turn to him give all to him surrender all behold your